Why doesn't everybody here get a piece of paper? Everybody here that can write. If you're, you know, two, then you can draw, I guess. But if you're here and you can write, you're in grade school, you're in middle school, you're in high school, you're an adult, get a piece of paper. <clears throat> so, Ethan, how old are you? Fifteen. If you're 15 years old and you've been at a communion service every month, how many communion services have you been at? I, I, you're, you're a math, math person, I can tell that immediately. Well, if he went to 12 communion services for 15 years, he'd have been at 180 of them. He'd have been at 180 of them. So Ethan's already figured this out, and so has every other teen in this room. I can't tell them anything they don't know about communion. I, I've, I've also figured that out, that I can't. You, you know that when we do communion, we're doing a similar thing, and I'm just going in different doors, that's all. I'm just taking a different pathway in. But tonight I thought, let's do this. Since, since Ethan's been at 180 of them, if you don't like this, you can blame him. Since Ethan's been at 180 communion services, let's have a quiz, a test. Okay? So, we're going to have a test, and I'm going to take it, kind of in general, from Hebrews chapter 1. So grab your Bibles. This is not going to be an open book test. No grading on the curve. Guys in the room, get your own piece of paper. Don't cheat off your wife. Don't say that she's writing for both of you. I know how that works. Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. When you, get to, when you get down just a little bit farther, it says, In these last days He's spoken unto us by His Son. It's very important that God spoke to us. By the way, young people, the, the reason that there's so much difficulty between science and religion is at this point right here. You see, science is based on the empirical method. It, it's, it, it works based on observation and our senses. So science won't work. It works really well in the physical world, but it won't work in the metaphysical world. It won't work in the world that is beyond the senses. And that's where God operates. God doesn't operate so much in the physical as in the metaphysical. We know that God is a spirit. That means that God's what we would say invisible. It's actually incorporeal. He doesn't have a physical form, so you can't experience him that way. So if you want to experience God, he has to reveal himself to us, and that's what he does. He speaks, and we can understand him. Science doesn't get this because it operates in a realm they don't understand. But God speaks. He's spoken in the past, and he speaks now. Now in at least five ways. Now I'm going to give the ways tonight, and I want you on your paper, before I say it, to give what the message is. God speaks in certain ways, and I want you to write down what the message is. And you don't have to make this a paragraph. You can make it a phrase, like two or three or four or five words at the most, maybe. Just a phrase. So, 
Let's go. Here we go. How has God spoken? Well, first, he spoke in creation. What did he say? Write it down. What was the message that God was communicating in creation? And he was communicating. You got it? Don't take all day. You're only supposed to write three or four words, remember. You should know this. The message of God in creation. The heavens declare the, the glory of God. And the skies show his handiwork day unto day. Day after day, their message goes out to everybody. Psalm 19 says, God's communicating. What's he saying? The invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Even his eternal power and deity. God's saying, I'm here. That's the message of creation. I'm here. There's a God. Every once in a while, somebody says to me, how come the people... Just the average person in the world doesn't get that there's a creator because they're absolutely rejecting him. It's not that they've missed the message. The invisible things of the creation of the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood from the things that are made, even his eternal power and deity, so that men are without excuse. There's no excuse for missing the message that comes in creation, and the message is this: I'm here. There's a God. And I'm powerful. I'm here and I'm powerful. Who, who could do this? That, that is the message of creation. And it's a very clear message. And if somebody says they don't see it, it means that they're rejecting it deliberately. Because the message is plain, plainly seen. God says. Number two, second way that God has spoken. He's spoken in the scriptures. That's, that's what it means here when it says in Hebrews 1, He spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. He spoke in the scriptures. Now, you know this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the message of God. It's God-breathed. I want to know what the message was. You say, what's the message of what? This. What's the message of the book? What's the message God wanted to get across? You say, well, Pastor McNeil, I think we could come up with different answers here. Yeah, maybe. What's the message of the book? If you've got to pare it down to just a few words, what's the message? Come on, we've been reading this thing for a long time. What's, what's the message? Here we go. Back to Deuteronomy 7. Back to Deuteronomy 7. Verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord... He loved you. That's the message of the book. The message of this book is I love you, and it goes all the way through it. You, you, really, can't mess, you really can't miss it. For God so... He loved the world. When, when you get to Ephesians and, and Paul's doing doctrine in Ephesians chapter 1. 
when he's doing doctrine there. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. The story of the Bible, the story of the Bible is God saying, I love you. And if we go back to Deuteronomy 7, and I want you. I love you and I want you. That, that, that's the message. In fact, when you get all the way to the end of the book, when you get all the way to Revelation chapter 1, so we're in the last book, John's writing, it's maybe 90 AD, he's the last of the apostles, this is the last thing that's going to be written in the Bible, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God, to him be glory and power forever and ever, amen. To him who loves us. It's the message of the book. From the start of the book to the end of the book, God says, I love you and I want you. Hebrews 1 says, God spoke in times past through the prophets, and now in these last days, he's spoken unto us by his son. That's number three, Jesus. What was God saying when he sent Jesus? What's the message of Jesus? Don't answer out loud. Just write your answer down. See, he said in creation, I'm here and I'm powerful. But we couldn't really know him. He says in the Bible, I love you. I love you. But when he sends Jesus, he's doing something specific now. It's very clear what he's doing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, but God the only Son, He has revealed Him. John 1, 1, 1, 12, and 1, 18. The message of Jesus is, this is what God looks like. This is what God looks like. When Jesus came, He said, this is God. Jesus came to reveal to us who God is. In fact, in the passage we started reading in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, I'll, I'll go back and read it. Maybe you put your Bible down already. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken unto us by his Son. Then notice what he says. Whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. The writer of Hebrews says, He's spoken unto us by his Son, and his Son is the exact representation of who God is. So we look at Jesus, and we see God. Sinless, and good, and kind, and forgiving, and compassionate, and patient. And we learn in Jesus that God's coming after us. Jesus says, I'm, I've come to reveal God, and he says, I've come to rescue you. This is a rescue mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. Those who were lost. Say, who's lost? Everybody. Everybody in this room started lost. 
every last one of us. All we like sheep have, we've gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray, and God sent Jesus down here to represent him. We'd know exactly who God was like. We'd know why we'd want to be followers of God because we'd want to be followers of Jesus. Who wouldn't want to follow a person who was compassionate, good, and faithful, loving, and kind? So God sent Jesus down here so we'd know who he was. But he also sent him down here on a rescue mission. Which leads us to the fourth way that God speaks. He speaks through the cross. So what's the message of the cross? Come on, write it in. What's the message of the cross? You say, well, I, I think it's that I love you. Well, we already used that one. It's not that one. It could be, though, couldn't it? Could be. It's kind of hard to pick just one message of the cross, isn't it? Grab your Bibles, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Are you there? Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. He's talking about Jesus Christ being God. Jesus Christ is God. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He's telling us what the cross is all about. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The message of the cross, I say it this way. It's God saying to us, I'll do whatever it takes to rescue you. Whatever it takes. I mean, think of it, really. God so loved the world that he gave his... It's, it's, it's incomprehensible. I don't think there's a dad in this room that can imagine letting their own son die for people who don't even like him. It's incomprehensible. It's inconceivable. Inconceivable that God would do this. That God would send his only son. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men incomprehensible that Jesus Christ would volunteer. Come on, you know what the cross is like. This is the God of all the world who's never experienced pain. His life's been perfect. He's always been in control. Now he's going to let a crowd lynch him inconceivable. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that 
he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice of our sins. That's 1 John 4.10. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that will satisfy the wrath of God because God's angry. We sometimes make God like he's a pacifist. God's angry about sin. Angry. He's angry about sin and angry at sinners. We, we always say God loves the sinner and he hates the sin. We, we got to read our Bible better. God hates sin and he hates sinners. And he still loves them enough. God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ came to die for us. It's amazing. The message of the cross is that God will do whatever it takes to rescue you and I. So Paul could say, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am. What did he say? Chief, worst. Of whom I am the worst. I, I think in this room, we could say it like this. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of which we are one of the worst. Could we say that? We're one of the worst. And in the end, in the end at communion, when we hear God speak and God says, I'm here and I'm powerful, you're going to have to deal with me. But he says, I love you. He says, I'm going to send Jesus Christ so you'll know who I am. And Jesus Christ is going to rescue you on the cross. He's going to do whatever it takes, the righteous dying for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. That's what Colossians meant by reconciliation, just to bring us back to God because we got, we got away from God. And Jesus is God's message that he'll do whatever it takes to bring us back to God. And we're supposed to end by just being so very, very thankful that he just didn't leave us out there in our mess. See, that, that Charlie and Tara are just supposed to be so thrilled that God just didn't leave them out there in their mess. Every one of us is in that same mess. Dave and Julie are supposed to just be so thankful that God didn't leave them out there in that mess that they had gotten themselves in by wandering away from God. And Dick and Tammy are just supposed to be so thankful that God didn't leave them in that mess that they were. But he came after us. And God's speaking to us, and he says, I love you, and I want you, and I'll do whatever it takes to rescue you. One more. One more. There's lots of ways that Jesus spoke. I've just picked five. He also speaks in his coming. He's got another coming coming. <laughs> he came the first time, and, and there was a message. It's not the same message the second time. The first time he came, he had a message, and he said, hey, I'm God. This is what God's like. Now, the Bible says that. The world became flesh and dwelt among us. And we got to see what God was like, because you can't see God. So he became a human being, so we could see him. He says, I came to rescue, but he's coming back the second time. What's the message going to be? There is a message. Actually, he's already speaking because he's told us it's going to happen. And that's why he did it. You say, why did he tell us? Why, why did he tell us he's coming back? Because he has a message. That's why. Here you go, Revelation chapter 5. Grab your Bibles. 
Are you there? Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. That's the message of the next coming. Jesus wins. Simple. It's a simple message. Jesus wins. You didn't close your Bible, did you? Let's keep reading. It said, the, the, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are seven spirits that God sent into all the world. And he came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Some of you think we sang a new song tonight, but we didn't. We've sung it before. They sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men from God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be kingdoms and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Jesus wins. And I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon ten thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. We sing that song too, right? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. I, I don't know if the tune's going to be the same when we get there. I think maybe it'll be a little bit more jazzy, but that's just an opinion. Verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. Who? Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all of them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and amen. In the end, Jesus wins. We come here tonight and when we do, we're almost always looking back, and that's what we're supposed to do because we're supposed to remember what Jesus did for us. We're supposed to listen for God to speak to us, and he's still speaking tonight. He speaks all the time. He says, hey, I'm out here. You drove to church tonight, and all the way here, you drove through God's world, and he was screaming at you, I'm out here, and I'm powerful, and everything you see, I made it. Did you hear him? Were you arguing with your wife? Slapping the kids in the back seat. At least that was fun. You drove to church tonight, did you hear him? You drove right through his world and he was shouting. He was shouting, I'm out here. He has a message. He gave us this book. And this book is filled with the message and it says God loves us. We're important to God. He came after us. He came after Matt Waller because he wanted Matt Waller. He didn't come after Matt Waller because Matt Waller was such a stud. He may or may not be. That's another story. But that's not why he came after Matt. He came after Matt because he loved Matt and he wanted him in his family. That's why he came after you because he loved you and wanted you in his family. He sent Jesus Christ down here so we'd know what God was like and we'd know how to live our lives. So Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he rescued us, and he did it at the cost of his son, and Jesus Christ did it at the cost of his life, which is what we're remembering tonight. And so all of us, 
we're saying thank you again tonight and we're dedicating ourselves to keep following this Jesus Christ down the, down the road. One of our songs tonight said we're going to bear our cross. Yes, but in the end, Jesus wins. We're, we're not going down a path that goes down. We're going down a path that goes up. In the end, Jesus Christ wins. Right now, the world doesn't like believers. And in America, they're liking believers less and less. But in the end, Jesus is going to win. And all the Christ's followers, we're going to be a part of that grand celebration that we read about in Revelation chapter 5. Tonight's just a little taste of it. It's just a little taste of what it's like to remember what God's done for us in our lives. So we take our opportunity tonight to say thank you we take our opportunity tonight to sing to God. We take our opportunity to say back to God, thank you for paying the price, for doing whatever it takes to rescue us. Let's sing together. Cindy, grab your, grab your hymn books and turn to page 493, and we're going to sing the last two verses of this song. I think they're kind of the celebration verses of this song. Page 493, let's stand together, and deacons, you can make your way down to the front. 